Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Tonight we're going to resume our Bible study on Revelation, and I'm excited now because we are really fixing to dive into the the deep part of the pool, as they say. We're in Revelation chapter 4. Um, when you first start Revelation, you kind of got to go slow to realize, hey, this is a little different from what I'm used to. And then you get to chapter 2, you know, and you've got in chapters 2 and 3, you've got seven different churches, and you don't want to rush that. You want to take the time to see what the Lord has for each of the seven churches. And now we get to chapter 4, and things start picking up. And so we're going to look at all of chapter 4 tonight. We're going to hold whole chapter. How about that? Uh, as I was thinking about this, I've entitled the, uh, the lesson, The Throne of God, because everything you're going to read about tonight, the focal point of everything is going to be the throne of God. And uh, I was thinking of Psalm 24 uh, that says, The earth and everything in it, the world and its inhabitants, belong to the Lord. For he laid its foundation on the seas and established it on the rivers. Who may ascend the mountain of the Lord? Who may stand in his holy place? The one who has clean hands and a pure heart, who has not appealed to what is false and who has not sworn deceitfully. He will receive blessing from the Lord and righteousness from the God of his salvation. Such is the generation of those who inquire of him, who seek the face of the God of Jacob. I was thinking of that Bible passage. And it made me think of a third day, a uh, Christian uh, rock group from Georgia uh, that did a song a few years ago called God of Wonders. Matter of fact, that song became so popular that I think a lot of different artists uh, did a version of it. Chris Tomlin did. Um, a bunch of others did. Um, God of Wonders says, Lord of all creation, of the water, earth, and sky, the heavens are your tabernacle. Glory to the Lord on high. And then the chorus is, God of wonders beyond our galaxy, you are holy, you are holy. The universe declares your majesty, you are holy, you are holy. Well, truly, when you go outside and look in the sky and look at the heavens, uh, this time of year, I know I enjoy watching the, uh, the leaves turn uh, colors and then turn loose. Uh, but it's always pretty just to get caught up in, you know, the great outdoors and to remind ourselves that, you know, that's the handiwork of our God. And uh, I say that because not only are we going to look at the focal point of this passage is the throne of God, but we're going to emphasize the, the truth that He is our Creator. Uh, we'll talk about Redeemer next week, but we're talking about Creator tonight in Revelation chapter 4. Um, before I go there, I want to share the story. Sir Isaac Newton had a friend who was an atheist, and the friend didn't believe in God, and uh, he preferred to take the position that the universe just happened. And so one day, this friend is visiting with Sir Isaac Newton, and Newton shows him a model of the solar system, and it was impressive. I mean, um, the sun, the planets, the moon, uh, all of the things were in place. The sizes were uh, in proportion, the planets and the satellites were revolving around. Everything was just like, it, it was a wonderful model of, you know, what actually is. And he's looking at it and he's admiring it. And he says, you know, this is intriguing. Who made it? And he said, nobody, it just happened. 
Now, obviously, he was uh, trying to make a point with that statement. Um, but, you know, we live in a world that people deny the Creator. You know, Romans 1 says that uh, God has revealed Himself through creation. Um, and uh, yet people will still deny Him. Look, if you will, in Revelation 4. And we now have the second vision um, that John has. The first vision that John had was in Revelation 1 of Christ walking among the candlesticks, which are the seven churches, and he tells him what to write down for each of these seven churches. Now we have a second vision, and John writes in Revelation 4.1, After this I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. The first voice that I had heard speaking to me like a trumpet, if you go back to chapter 1, you'll know that's Jesus, said, come up here, and I will show you what must take place after this. And immediately, John writes, I was in the Spirit, and there was a throne in heaven, and someone was seated on it. The one seated there had the appearance of jasper and carnelian stone, a rainbow that had the appearance of an emerald surrounded the throne, Around the throne were 24 thrones, and on the throne sat 24 elders dressed in white clothes with golden crowns on their heads. Flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder came from the throne. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. And something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal, was also before the throne. Four living creatures covered with eyes in front and in back were around the throne on each side. And the first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like an ox. The third living creature had a face like a man. And the fourth living creature was like a flying eagle. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were covered with eyes around and inside. And day and night, they never stopped saying, Holy, 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 Lord God the Almighty, who was, who is, and who is to come. And whenever the living creatures give honor, uh, glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and worship the one who lives forever and ever. And they cast their crowns before the throne and say, Our Lord and God, you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Wow. Um, as one uh, scholar says, the throne is mentioned 17 times in Revelation 4 and 5 in those two chapters. And then in the remainder of the book, chapter 6 through 22, another 21 times. And the purpose being to emphasize the sovereignty of God over all human history. Um, I like what Herschel Hobbes says. He says, there's never been a time when this throne was not there. And despite persecution of the saints, the throne abides. 
The throne is not empty. There is someone sitting on the throne, and that someone is not Satan or Caesar, so neither of them are sovereign or in control of the world or universe. Notice uh, John is uh, caught up to heaven to see this next vision. He's in the Spirit, and immediately what does he see? A throne in heaven. And then he begins to describe everything that's going on around the throne, but the throne is the focal point. He says there's a throne in heaven and someone was seated on it. And the only thing he says about the appearance of one seated on it is of jasper and carnelian stone and a rainbow, and that's it. Now you might say, well, that's odd, but it reminds me of something in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy chapter 4, verse 15, Moses had told Israel, Diligently watch yourselves, because you did not see any form on the day the Lord spoke to you out of the fire at Mount Horeb. So you don't act corruptly and make an idol for yourselves in the shape of any figure, whether it's a male or female form, or the form of any animal on the earth, any winged creature that flies in the sky, any creature that crawls on the ground, or any fish in the waters under the earth. Uh, you know we were not supposed to make any graven image correct? And so God is spirit. Uh, God is light. In him is no darkness at all. Also, God is holy. So he's unapproachable, you might say, in that regard, uh, unless the issue of holiness is addressed. And we know through the uh, blood of Jesus, we can come boldly before the throne of grace in our time of need. But when we look at just the act of approaching God in and of ourselves on our own without the help of Christ, that wouldn't be possible um, without Christ. And so here is God. He is on the throne. And um, as uh, Dennis Johnson says, he says, John's vision of the enthroned one leaves the impression of radiant light and vibrant color without definition of details. That is intentional, Okay. Uh, that way we don't make an idol. You know, it's real easy for people to do that. If you remember Moses when he was up on the mountaintop with God for 40 days and 40 nights, Israel got tired of waiting on him. And finally they turned to Aaron, his brother, and they said, hey, you know, make a God, you know, here, here, here's some metal and stuff. You know, make a God for us that we can worship. As for this Moses, we don't know what's happened to him. And of course, Aaron uh, was thoughtful and deliberate. He took their gold and he made it into a what? A golden calf. And then when Moses come down from the mountain and rebuked him, he said, I just threw that in the fire and out came this golden calf. You remember that story. Uh, but we have to guard against that. And so that's what makes, to me, that's what makes this even more authentic and compelling with Scripture or the witness of the rest of the Bible record is because he saw someone on the throne and when he looked at it, it was more like light and color, but he didn't give us any kind of form. And I think that is consistent with the Bible's teaching. If you remember Moses, he told God on the mountain, I want to see your glory. And remember, he put him in a cleft of a rock and he put his hand over it and he said, I'll let you see me as I go by. And he literally saw God's backside, if you will, I say that as humbly and reverent as I can, and yet it was glorious because God is just this awesome being. And so 
he saw the glory of God. And uh, the rainbow, what a wonderful reminder the rainbow is, going all the way back to the days of Noah, right? Um, Unfortunately, a lot of people in the culture today have a different view of the rainbow, but the rainbow comes from Scripture. It's a reminder that God will never destroy the world with a flood again. And that's uh, what the rainbow represents, God's mercy. And around the throne, there in verse 4, are 24 thrones. And on those thrones are 24 elders. And there's a lot of talk about who are these people. Um, You know, if you go back to Old Testament worship, you know, there was 24, there were certain 24s, and those are possibilities. The, The prevailing thought is 24 uh, hints at perhaps the 12 apostles and the 12 tribal leaders of the tribes, you know, tribes of, of Israel. Uh, because when you get to the end of Revelation at the New Jerusalem, you're going to have the city where the foundations are named after one group and the, the gates are named after another group. And that's certainly a possibility, but I'm not saying that that's it. But what I will say, what's interesting is when you look at elders, that is a consistent theme in the Old Testament. Israel had elders. In the book of Acts, in the early church, the church had elders. And now, here you are in heaven, and my goodness, what do we have here? In heaven, you have 24 elders around the throne of God, dressed in white with golden crowns on their heads. It could be a picture that one day we too will rule and reign with him. The flashes of lightning and rumblings and peals of thunder come from the throne. It's kind of a reminder of when God appeared to Moses and Israel when he was on that mountain, you know, uh, ratifying the old covenant. Uh, It gets your attention that God has showed up. The seven fiery uh, torches that are burning before the throne represent the seven spirits of God. Uh, Here you have the Trinity. You have the the someone on the throne is the Father. The fiery torches are are the Holy Spirit. And we won't quite make it tonight, but when you read Revelation 5, and quite frankly, Revelation 4 and 5 go together, but I wanted to sort of digest it a little bit at a time. So we're going to look at chapter 4 tonight, chapter 5 next time. But in chapter 5, you see Jesus. And so there is the, the triune God, the Trinity. And then it describes the the environment around it, the the sea of glass, similar to crystal before the throne. And then you have these four living creatures. And this is what's fascinating to me is these four living creatures, how they're covered with eyes front and back and um, how they're described, one like a lion, one like an ox, one like a man, one like an eagle. And if you are familiar with your Bible, if if you're familiar with your Bible, you're going to say, this sounds familiar. And it should. And the book of Ezekiel. Now, Ezekiel is probably not one of those prophets that people read a lot, but if you go to the Old Testament, read the book of Ezekiel. Ezekiel has a similar vision uh, where he hears these wheels, and the next thing you know, he has a vision of a throne, and there are four living creatures around the throne. And even though there's some differences, there's a lot of similarities. And he talks about these uh, living creatures, and he talks about the lion the ox, the man, and the eagle. I did a study on that one time. 
And what it took me to was art. If you look at art during the early church time, and even on up until the Reformation time, and even today, if you know where to look, you can go to certain old churches and look, and there is art depicting these living creatures. And quite frankly, uh, some say that these living creatures also represent the four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, um, because each one highlighted a different aspect of Jesus. You see, the, the man represents that Christ came and became one of us, God incarnate, God is with us. And then the ox uh, represents how he ultimately was led to the cross, and he was the sacrifice. The lion represents his resurrection, and now he is king. And then the eagle represents his ascension to heaven. And um, in a, in a um, primitive society, if you go back down the history timeline, uh, when people were more into pictures than reading, uh, this was a very popular art piece. It's, it's really neat. Uh, there's a book out there, Four Gospels, One Jesus, that talks a lot about this aspect, the, the four living creatures and the, the four images and how you compare each one of them with uh, one of the Gospels uh, of Jesus, and it's quite fascinating. So when you look at that, um, these four living creatures, um, they are different from anything else you're going to see in Revelation. They are the closest ones, okay? If you read this and you look at diagrams and pictures, here's the throne in the center. All these things are going on around the throne. The closest ones to the throne are these four living creatures. Each one's on one side of the throne, sort of like north, south, east, west. And they are the closest ones to the throne. And they have all of these eyes, and they have these six wings. And John doesn't comment anymore about the, the six wings, but if you go to Isaiah chapter 6, when uh, Isaiah was in the temple and saw God high and lifted up, and the cherubim who had these wings and two were to cover their feet, two were to cover their faces, and two they, fly, they, fly, they flew with. And so that kind of leaves you to the imagination, and perhaps that's what these four living creatures do with their six wings. And it says that day and night, they never stop saying, Holy, 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 Lord God the Almighty, who was, who is, who is to come. And that is awesome. You will see that refrain a few times in Revelation until it doesn't say who is to come because eventually he's coming. He's coming back. And so that's pretty awesome that these four living creatures, perhaps they're cherubim, okay, which is a type of angel. Um, perhaps they are. I'm not saying, but possibly they are. They are the closest ones to the throne of God. And they're constantly saying, they're praising His name, holy, holy, holy. And whenever the living creatures give glory, honor, and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, the 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and they worship Him who lives forever and ever and they cast their crowns uh, before Him and they say, Our Lord and God, You are worthy to receive glory and honor and power 
because you've created all things and by your will they exist and were created. Now, I like verse 11 for a couple reasons. Let me give you some practical points here. I'm just going to give you two practical points about chapter 4 tonight. Number one, God's on the throne. And when you read the first 10 verses of chapter 4, you get a vivid description of a scene in heaven, and you're in the courtroom, if you will, the throne room of God, and everything is centered and focused on the throne and the one who is on the throne. And all the activity, all the praise is directed to the one on the throne. I don't know about you, but in days like right now when there's chaos going on in our country, in our culture, in our society, isn't it good to be reminded that God is still on the throne? I don't know about you, but that is the rock of our faith. And when I don't understand what's going on out there, I can look up and say, praise God, He's still on the throne, and He is. The other thing I want you to see is not only that God is on the throne, but that God is worthy of our worship. Now, (laughs) here's a twist. We're so accustomed, I believe, um, as Christians that when we talk about how God is worthy of worship, we're always going to say why He's worthy of worship. We're going to point to the cross. And that's absolutely true. But what I find interesting here, and and you will see that point made, by the way, spoiler alert, you will see that point made in chapter 5. But I, I did not want to go that far tonight because I wanted you to soak in this one scene in Revelation 4 where God is on the throne, it's all about Him. He is on the throne, and He is worthy of worship. And we're told why, in chapter 4, verse 11, why He is worthy of worship. He is worthy to receive glory, honor, and power, because what? He has created all things, and by your will they exist and were created. How about this? God is worthy of our worship because He's the Creator. Period. You see, when people talk about giving God glory and giving God praise, before you go to the cross, which there's nothing wrong with that, I would say go back further. Go back to the beginning, okay? Go back to the fact that He made you. He created you. He formed and fashioned you in your mother's womb. Before you were even born, He knew the number of days that you would live. They're already written in the book. And so He knows the hairs on your head. He sees the tears when they fall from your eyes. He knows everything about you and He loves you. And you know what? He is worthy of our worship because He's the Creator. Now, we don't normally talk like that, do we? We really don't. You know, it's kind of ironic because I I talked to a man many years ago who came from uh, an Indian heritage, okay? Uh, He was Anglo, but... He had an Indian heritage somewhere back on his line. And he researched it. It was important to him because it was part of his heritage. And he even had an Indian name. And he even formed, uh, I don't know what you call it, but he formed some kind of, you know, uh, association or gathering. And they all got together. And when they talked, they would talk about their great creator. Now, in that sense, when I talked to him, I was like, well, that's great. Uh, once he understood that there was a creator, 
then I wanted to take him to the cross, right? But uh, tonight I'm kind of doing the opposite. Before we go to the cross, let's go back to the beginning and realize that God is so worthy of everything that we can give Him for the fact that He created everything. If He did nothing else, okay? Uh, let, me, let me say it this way. So God created everything and it was good, okay? And if the fall had never happened, if sin had never happened, if death had never entered the human race, He would still be worthy of all praise, honor, and glory because He created us. That's what I'm trying to say. In other words, get this around your head for a minute. He is so worthy of honor, glory, and power because He is our Creator. And I think that's something that we need to be reminded of sometimes. Uh, that's why when you talk to other people about God, uh, before you go to the cross, maybe go back to the beginning. Uh, talk to them about how all this was made. Did it just happen? No, we know better than that, don't we? We know that uh, if there is a Big Bang Theory, it was sort of like this. God said, said it, and bing, bang, there it was, right? Because that's what I believe. God spoke it into existence. And it was so. He said, let there be light. There was light. And uh, if you read the creation account, God spoke it into existence. I mean, that doesn't diminish my faith at all. When I think about what we believe, the Bible teaches that there is a resurrection of the dead. The Bible teaches that Jesus was born of a virgin. The Bible teaches that, that He created everything that we can see out of nothing. That's the kind of God that you and I have, and I think it's awesome. That's why He alone is worthy to receive glory, honor, and power. Is because He has created all things. And by His will, they exist and they were created. Now let me give you another um, passage of Scripture I just want to share with you. It's in Colossians chapter uh, 1 and there will be a bridge for next week and we'll cross that bridge next week uh, but in Colossians chapter 1 is a hymn about Christ Colossians 1 verse 15 and listen to this it says he and the he in this refers to Jesus he is the image of of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For everything was created by Him in heaven and on earth, the visible and the invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities. All things have been created through Him and for Him. He is before all things, and by Him all things hold together. That is Jesus. Okay? Jesus is the Son of God. And so tonight, I want to encourage you to remember your Creator and worship Him. Um, I had a, um, a friend of mine years ago. He says, do you want to know what the difference between the mind of God and the heart of God is? And I said, sure. I had no idea where he was going. 
But I said, sure, what are you trying to say? And he says, if you want to try to understand the mind of God, look at creation. The same God that made the gnat made the elephant. It's amazing. Look at all the diversity and variety and all the different things, all the creatures that exist today, the animals, the plants, everything, even people. Our God is an amazing God. He doesn't make two things alike, does He? I mean, he, he must love variety. It's amazing. If you want to understand the mind of God, look at creation. And if you want to understand the heart of God, look at the cross. Look at the cross. He loves you and I this much. He died on that cross. And He died for you and for me. And so, I want to encourage you to um, think about creation. I think sometimes people get caught up in salvation and they try to explain how it happens, how it works, and they emphasize the sovereignty of God and all those things. And they tie God's glory to salvation. But here in Revelation 4, God's glory is tied to creation. Try to figure out how he made the gnat and the bee and the elephant and the giraffe and everything else. That's amazing to me. He is worthy of all honor, glory, and praise because he created all things. And it's simply amazing. He is worthy of our praise. If sin had never happened, if the fall had never happened, we would still be indebted to God because he is our creator. And everything he made and everything he does is good and so we need to realize that he is our creator and he is worthy of our worship well <clears throat> i'm gonna have to stop there i've got some questions that we might can talk about in a minute uh, the preacher may wants to keep going because it's just now getting good but we will look at chapter five next week so let's pray Father, we come before you tonight. Thank you for this word from the word. Lord, thank you for this vivid picture of the throne of God in heaven and the one seated on it. And Lord, we thank you that you love us. We thank you that you made us, that you formed us, that you fashioned us, that you created us. And Lord, for that alone, we give you glory, honor, and praise. Lord, help us sometimes to just step back from the hectic, frantic, busy pace of our lives. Help us to take in a slow breath and to look at the sky and look at the, the grass and the trees and the leaves and everything around us and all the creatures that you've made. And Lord, help us to realize that you are in control, that you're in charge, that you rule over it all, that you're the one on the throne. And Lord, when things happen that we don't understand, when we feel like man's got his hand on the wheel, Lord, help us to realize you're the one that's really in control. And Lord, we want to look to you. We want to remember that you are our creator. And we want to learn to praise you just because of that. Because if that was all there was, you still would be worthy of all the praise that you alone deserve. Lord, be with us tonight. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com.